You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this week we are inviting back a very special guest, a man who has done so much with us when it comes to people dying in the streets. Alex, say hello. (laughs) Hey guys, happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Now Matt, introduce to the crowd, we know what we're watching, but introduce to the crowd what we dragged Alex back to watch. We've been reverse ordering Alex through the Death Wish series, and we have arrived at what I guess some consider to be the best Death Wish with Death Wish 3. All right, here we go. Let's listen to the trailer. New York, a city pushed to the edge. People pushed to the limit, and no one's got the guts to stop them. It's collection time, Charlie. Three murders, four rapes, nine acts of random violence. This isn't a neighborhood, it's a war. But there is one way, one man who won't be pushed, Charles Bronson. What's the problem? Now you're going to die. It'll be just like before, Mr. Vigilante, with one important difference. You're going to work for me. People have got to start to fight back and hard. I sent them a message. That's him. I'll take care of him. And now, he's in the middle of a war. See what you've done? You got me mad. In a world gone mad, there is only one law. His. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. Bronson's back in New York, bringing justice to the streets. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. Oh, it sounds like a nice, lovely romantic comedy. (laughs) <laughs> a man that loves his gun a lot <laughs> uh, to remind everyone out there uh, matt brought it up a little bit but we have taken alex through the journey of death wish backwards we started with death wish 5 the face of death then we went to death wish the remake and then death wish for the crackdown and now we're on to <laughs> Death Wish 3. Woo-wee! So, Alex, what was the first time you ever watched this? Uh, this, j- just the other day. Um, <laughs> I have been... I, 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 I wanted to keep the purity of this series, having never watched a Death Wish movie until I sat down with you guys to watch uh, Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. So, as curious as I've been about this series, I have been... I, I, I've been keeping my death wish virginity on each film uh until it's time for us to record so i am truly doing this benjamin button trip with you guys going backwards <laughs> through where where charles bronson only gets younger and slightly more spry but not 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 too much 
Yeah, I was I was gonna say for like Benjamin Buttoning. I mean, he's just old still. So like, it's like, <laughs> what old. version of old Charles Bronson do you want? Seventies old, or eighties old, or maybe even nineties old? And then somehow Bruce Willis moves even slower than Charles Bronson in the remake. So, <laughs> but which man has their eyes less open? That's a good question. <laughs> they they all have old man closed eyes here. So. Uh, too ti- they're just they're so tired of this shit, <laughs> but they like the paychecks. I'm glad that you mentioned Bruce Willis, Matt, because I, I was ruminating when I was watching this movie. I was like, Bronson's pretty checked out here, but he's checked out in a way that I think is very distinct from like Bruce Willis VOD checked out. You know, there's like a and, and it actually I think his level of checked out in this movie works kind of well because everything around him is absolutely bug nuts insane and he is treating it all like it's the most normal thing in the world like i just i really i really like his line delivery of the the thing that i just kept going back to when 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 he sets up that booby trap with the board uh and and he finds it afterwards and they're like and they're like what's that attached to the board he just kind of holds it up and he goes teeth (laughs) (laughs) like he's just like slightly bemused but like a little over it and like, but that's how he delivers every line in the movie. I just couldn't help but like think like, like you're saying this, like how he's kind of checked out, but it's like, it's almost like as if he just like can't help it. It's almost like he doesn't know where he is. Whereas like Bruce Willis yeah. is like miserable, you know, like Bruce Willis, you can yes. see like, doesn't know why he's there. He's miserable. Like, and that's in everything he's been in lately, but like Bronson almost like can't help it i mean this is bronson giving a hundred percent i'm sure in 1980 whatever it is he seems seems, there there's like a there's like kind of like a it it seems kind of weird to say but like a doddering nature to to bronson's like yeah he seems like not like lost seems like a strong word but just like just kind of wandering around and checking things out whereas like whereas there is a contempt with bruce willis's you know, there there is exactly. like a very visible contempt where he's right. just like, "Fuck this, I'm over it." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Charles Bronson's just like, "Okay, cool, thanks." <laughs> like, and that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like when you go into a new situation and everything's moving too fast and you don't know quite how to react, you just do your own thing. I think that's kind of Bronson throughout this film. When Michael Winner's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, this and this. And then he sees it and he just looks around stunned and he's like, I'm just going to say my lines and keep walking. I don't know what to do with all this because he bounces very little off. You know, like when something's happening, he just does his thing. Now, when they're talking in a room with the old people, I feel like he's more comfortable and he's like kind of laughing with them and and looking at them. When he's out in the streets with the creeps, he's just like, "Uh, I'm going to kill you. That's yeah. it. He's really into the stuffed cabbage. Like he got really excited about the stuffed cabbage. <laughs> I like chicken. I remember that part. <laughs> <laughs> I like chicken. Oh, <laughs> uh, Matt, how about you? When was the first time you watched this? I think the first time I saw this movie was in a theater, uh, which was, I think, kind of a benefit to my enjoyment, I guess, of this movie. It was with a double free feature of Freaked uh alex winter was in town and so like they were showing freaked because he obviously directed and was in it and then they let him pick a movie that he was in that he wanted to show along with it and and this he is decided on death wish yeah he landed on death <laughs> wish three 
And man, he did not have any nice things at all to say about Michael Winner at all. Uh, but you know, <laughs> he loves sort of what like the movie has sort of become and sort of how it is sort of like the midnight movie death wish basically. So yeah, I got to see it in the theater for the first time and that was pretty cool. That is maybe the ideal. I can't think of a better way to see that movie. Like you really lucked out, Matt. I did. And it was truly my, it was either my first death wish period, or I had seen the first one at that point, but it was, so it was either my first sequel or my first death wish overall. And yeah, again, it's like, it was never going to get better than that. (laughs) You you peaked. I peaked early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love Alex Winter's, um, I always got to remember it's Alex Winter, obviously, and then Michael Winner. Yeah. For some reason, if I say Alex Winter enough, I will eventually just start saying Michael Winter. And I don't know <laughs> yes. why. Uh, my brain just goes, ah, same word, blend it. Um, and his story of like he got the job as a summer job, but really he only got it because he was born in London. So he had a, a, a passport to get into the country because they did so much of the shooting in London. So he goes, they didn't really pick me because they thought I was good. They picked me because I had a passport and I was cheap. And, you know, that's the canon way. And Mm -hmm. he also said at one point in this that he told Michael Winner that he was he could do his own stunts. And Michael Winner was like, all right, and put him through the ringer in that initial shot where he's like jumping on the car and he's like, I'm going to eat you. And then they get into the garage I mean, it's nuts. They let that kid do like half a day shooting, hanging off a car, the car stopping him falling off. And then eventually people in like people shooting it said like, hey, we have to stop. This is a kid. You were going to kill this kid. And he almost got ran over a couple of times. But it's funny because Alex Winter just tells the joke as like, you know, he's like, it was great. I was a kid. I was an idiot. I almost died. Oh, well, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's your 20s. Michael Winter just doesn't give a shit either. Like, obviously, he's he's got no uh, regard for human life. Uh, obviously, right, what I was so. to say he he's like he's like a documented like sociopath, right? Like that's <laughs> that's that's his that's his deal. And I think too, he got worse with age as well. So like now we're yeah on to the third in his final uh, death wish here. And yeah, I think by this point he's certifiable. So, (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, there's stories about how he sets up basically a torture chamber for his rape scenes. Like people would tell other people, you know, like actors and actresses like, Hey, if you're doing a Michael winter film, we need to let you know that he closes the set he is in on top of you when during the rape scenes. He's going to be telling you what to do. He doesn't want you to cover up. He wants you to be uncomfortable because apparently he thinks he's Stanley Kubrick and or Kubrick. And he, he like he just puts people through, the, especially the women, through the ringer to get the worst like situ. I guess the worst environment around them to get the best torture situation. And like even Alex. Winter brought it up. He's just like, this guy's serious about his rape and it's weird. And no one feels comfortable around this guy when he has to do a scene like this. And even even though a lot of the people that worked with him kept returning. But, you know, hey, you got to pay your mortgage. That's another thing that's kind of curious to me. And maybe I don't know if anybody did any if anybody did any research on this. But I know that like Bronson and Winter worked. at This was, I think, the last movie that they made together. I guess it was the last straw for 
Bronson. Yeah, Bronson said he'd never work with him again. Yeah, and but but they made like a lot of movies together over a mm-hmm. number of years, like both like pre and during like this like canon insanity period. And I just like kind of wonder like what what made Bronson be because he also seemed to like have a lot of like vocal regret for how his character was coming off to when doing publicity for the movie. He's like he's like I don't really. I think I found a quote somewhere where he says like I don't like myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when promoting Death Wish three and like and and I just kind of wonder like what finally clued him in where he was like oh maybe you shouldn't work with this guy anymore. Well, he told him he didn't want someone in his life to be raped, uh, in his character's life, uh, obviously, in his real life. He definitely doesn't want that. But um, he didn't want that to be like the catalyst to start the story. Mm-hmm. Michael Winner then just goes, oh, OK, no problem. So he just changes the story to get someone else raped. And that pissed off Bronson. Yeah, like the idea was like, no, I just like don't want to use that in the movie anymore, period. But then he was like, well, I'll just I'll find a way to throw that in there. Yeah, but like Alex Winter has said and a couple other people, the dude just wants to stick rape in everything. And they're not joking. Mm-hmm. There is something sadistic about his mind. Who I don't know if he's a little bit of column A with he's just like, oh, no, this is a good catalyst in a film to, you know, like now the the hero has to really step up because he's got to save women or it's a little bit of B that he really enjoys torturing these women in a way. I don't know. I It's weird. And I've heard a lot of people talk about it. I've read a few of the articles where they're just like, they won't work with the guy. This is actually the movie. I think where a lot of his people just decided it's time to move on from him, including Bronson. He also, what, what a weird dude. He had a column in, got like some the sunday times in london i believe called winners dinners where he where he reviewed restaurants did you know that no <laughs> I what just, a i'm character. looking at his wikipedia and there's a whole paragraph on winners dinners oh, that's weird he's just really he, he was just really into fine cuisine too he just made exploitation films and really liked eating well <laughs> yeah i just you know like like we're talking about like you know is he does he get off on this stuff or whatever i do i just think he was a weird fucking guy like i just think that you know he's an artist quote unquote you know and he's making exploitation movies and yeah he's just a weirdo i think and yeah i think it boiled to a point because you know he had sort of had this flourishing career in the 70s uh and then you know by this time in the 80s or whatever he's just kind of done it all or whatever happened but like yeah i just i don't i don't i can't imagine him necessarily like really liking this stuff i just think he's a weirdo and i think he was just like taking really seriously making these schlock movies yeah i could see that makes complete sense to me but he's still a fucking sadistic weirdo so (laughs) oh yeah i'm not saying that i'm not saying he's not (laughs) i'm not saying you're not saying i'm just saying (laughs) This guy makes me sick, you know, like in a way, uh, <laughs> but also I enjoy this film. So it's like, mm, maybe I'm a little sick. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, honestly, maybe, maybe winner had a point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was right. I don't <laughs> was on this. Maybe he was on to something. <laughs> maybe we should shoot all the creeps, uh, which, by the way, the reason they call them creeps throughout this film is to avoid racial slurs. Uh, well, it's because that's what the people in canon, uh, the Iranian, you know, producers and every, you know, Golem and Goblis and everything, 
they they were fine with the word punk, but they didn't like hoodlums. They didn't like a lot of the other ones. So they're like, you have to make sure that they're called creeps. Oh, that was that was just a producer mandate. Yes. And then, you know, even this is something I will. Very few things I agree with Michael Winner, but I'm going to agree with him. He goes, America doesn't call these people creeps. They call them punks. And they're like, yeah. nope, creeps. And so that's why, like, they flip back and forth in the movie. I don't think I'd ever heard the, the, the title creep used so much in a movie uh, ever. Except Night of the <laughs> Well, not, not even Night of the Creeps. They don't even say it. No. That. That's just the title. Yeah, that's just in the title. I don't think they ever call them creeps in that movie. Uh, but like, that one like, woman who yells, the creeps, <laughs> the older oh. Jewish woman. The he's, creeps. He's <laughs> shooting the creeps. <laughs> uh, I don't, I just, I can listen to that on loop for about six times before I'm like, okay, enough's enough. But I do laugh the first five. Like with the the fact that like they've got them called creeps and like, yeah, they're sort of like, punk 80s post-apocalyptic wasteoids kind of looking like uh it's very like fantasy almost it feels like sort of with the tree and whereas uh and you'll see when you get to them but again in reverse order uh the other death wishes sort of have more of sort of a realistic look at sort of like the gangs and things like that or whatever oh well i don't know about realistic but you know more human this this looks like 80s horror movie kind of punk trauma class of Newcomb high kind of uh <laughs> villains or whatever in this movie yeah that's a good way to describe that that there's a there's almost like a trauma bent to this to this gang in the way that they behave and the way that they're directed and are you know styled and dressed and 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 you're right like this doesn't really occur i mean even even like you, you put it next to like four or five, which have its outrageous moments. But this one is really the one so far that like, oh, this doesn't take place in anything that like resembles reality, which which makes it super enjoyable. Like, I, I think, you know, I understand why this is the cult one, because it it kind of has those trappings where you can just kind of you can't even like be offended by it because it's just so silly. And nothing seems rooted in anything like in the real world. Yeah, it's total fantasy. This movie's basically a horror movie, you know, it's yeah. the, or, you know, post-apocalyptic, post-Mad yeah, Max a, kind of movie. Like, yeah. that's, it's it not. It just felt like Mad Max to be this neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, the original writer who did Life Force, Invaders from Mars, he had worked with Canon quite a bit. He wrote this to be John Rambo in the city. Yeah, it's Ra- it's Rambo too. Yeah. So first they they didn't get along with um, Bronson because he you know was pretty demanding. He wanted creative control. He wanted this mm. amount of money and everything. They're like, okay, so we're gonna not use this Charlie. We're gonna go to Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is like, no, I'm not doing that. That violence is too weird and creepy and dark. I'm not doing that. So they're like, uh oh. So they got to go back to their other Chuck. And they're like, okay, so we'll give you money. We'll give you a little creative control. And he goes, okay, good, but we're not using the Rambo script. And they're like, all right, we'll hire someone else. And they, the other guy wrote like three different scripts. And so there's a funny story on that. They didn't even call him to tell him none of his scripts got selected. They just went back and used the other Rambo script and then told Michael Winner, hey, figure this out with Bronson, which is really what separated them in their friendship. I don't know how much a friendship was left uh, at the point, but that really divided. Betrayal. It. Yeah. So 
then Bronson shows up and he goes, I'm not doing the John Rambo script. And they're like, it's the only script we have. And the writer who originally did it, well, I should go back to the middle guy who did three. He had to call and he's like, so which one do you want? And they're like, none of them. Sorry. Bye. Here's your money later. So that's a weird, that's canon for you. Um, yeah. And then the original writer wrote what Michael Winner had done after he did his you know, like director's pass. And he's like, I want my name off of it. And they took his name off of it, even though everyone knows he wrote the original. <laughs> hmm. I mean, this wasn't when Canon was on fire, but this was the start of Canon just over overdoing it. I mean, even their budget for this movie is nine to ten million dollars, which is not what they should be doing. They should have been doing two million dollar budget films, making six or seven, and then they're fine. I think this movie, because after they went to the Cannes Festival and I think in 84 when they sold this movie, they took over Cannes in 1984. It's kind of like you can see it in the documentary Electric Boogaloo. Oh, yeah. This is the one 84 where they took over and they were just they just went nuts as a fire sale. And they took on all these projects and it never stopped. And they took on so much debt. And this is what ruined them. This is the film, I think, that started it. I think they really thought they knew what they were doing with big budget films and they did not. Was that was that the can? Uh, am I am I conflating two stories? But is that the story where they were basically just selling movies on posters where yes. they're like, we don't even have a script. for It's like, here's here's just a concept on a one sheet. Like who's gonna who's gonna buy the foreign rights to this, and then they get the money, and they'd be like, "Well, shit, now we need to make a movie that's this thing," and they just did a bunch of that. That's not exactly you know anything novel. A lot of people have been yeah. doing that for a long time. The difference is, Canon sold like twenty something films that in that <laughs> nineteen eighty four Cannes Festival. You can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that twenty four times. Yeah. It was like 20 something scripts. I remember hearing that they sold and they got money for it. They got checks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not like, yeah, we'll agree to do this as long as we have a script. There is no script. It's crazy. Yeah. I can't believe what they got away with. Let's uh, let's, let's steer back into this film. So like we said, directed, produced and even edited by Michael Winters, uh, produced by Canon Films, released on November 1st, 1985 at a budget of nine to ten million dollars, depending I mean, I think Charles Bronson ended up getting like one point eight million of this budget. So he made his money and he made even more in the later ones, which we talked about. And you can go back a couple of years. I think the first time you were on, Alex, was 2018 or 17. I can't remember. This is the part of the show where Matt has to guess the domestic box office. So here are the movies that were out around this time, Matt. We had Rocky Four, Jagged Edge. To Live and Die in L.A., which I don't know what that is. Oh, my God. That movie's amazing, Steve. Is it? It's a fucking, yeah. Uh, William, it was Billy Friedkin, William Peterson, I think. Was, yeah, from CSI. Mm-hmm. And, and an incredible Willem Dafoe performance. You've seen this too, right, Matt? I've not seen it, but I'm like pretty aware of it. It's uh, one, one that yeah. my parents watched all the time. So Yeah, Tangerine Dream Score. It's like very like Michael Mann 80s. That movie fucks. It's so Ooh. good. <laughs> It's a, it's a favorite of mine. I dig it a lot. Okay, you sold me. I'll have to put that on the <laughs> list. Yeah, yeah. And then we had Back to the Future, Commando, which is nuts that you had this and Commando in the theater at the same time. And the last one I saw that I thought I should make a note of, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Hell yeah. 
and I was a fan of that before this became popular. I always told people about this one. I was like, three's great. Yeah, I get it. One's great, too. But I'm telling you what, there's something in two. There's something special about two. And and now it's a, now it's a cult classic. Uh, but yeah, I so in doing my limited limited research on um, Death Wish three, I did I already did come upon the box office, so it will not be a surprise. But uh, what I saw, and this will be good because we can compare. Because I know we always see different things. What I saw was sixteen uh, was the domestic box office sixteen million. What do you have for it? No, that's correct. You got it. Okay. Okay. Now, what's funny is if you go to Box Office Mojo and you go to Wikipedia, they don't have the worldwide on this. Hmm. And I found out why. Canon didn't own the rights to any international, so they didn't get any money off of it. Hmm. They sold it. I mean, that's how they got the money for these yeah, films. Yeah, that's how they, they, yeah, because, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's how a lot of movies are sold that can supposedly is, yeah, you, you start by, I think that was what Soderbergh was doing with like um, with stuff like Logan Lucky, too. He was like trying to to do that, where he basically sold off foreign rights based on a concept and a script um, and then used that money to actually make the movie because he's like, well, that money's already, you know, the movie's already paid for itself thanks to that. And then anything else that I make domestically is profit. Yeah. And that's why Canon got at least one more of these made in a lot of other films is because the international VHS sales on this movie were huge. I believe it. If they, Yeah, but the only reason they made the film is because they, they sold the rights. And I think they sold it off a concept of almost $5 million. So they gave them $5 million. I'm sure they lied their asses off and said they spent 9 to 10. Hmm. And because who knows what canon was actually, but I, I just like they sold it up. Like, they just got someone to give them a five million dollar check. And they're like, sweet movies paid for. And that's probably why they fought Bronson so much is because they're like, well, we don't want to pay you one point eight. That's really going to cut into our profit. <laughs> and then Bronson, you know, played hardball and won. But, you know, how do you sell a Death Wish movie without Bronson, though? I mean, come on. Yeah, he's the he's the draw. Exactly. It's him on the poster. Speaking of the poster, let's move on to the VHS cover. So the VHS cover and the poster are exactly the same. It is a very dark cover with a little bit of light on Bronson with his huge Widley Magnum. He's pointing it in the air, I assume, at one of the creeps. And uh, we've got the title in a really interesting font, Death Wish 3, right below it, MGM. Oh, MGM, didn't you regret that canon contract i have to ask because it was one of the first like random facts that i stumbled on when reading about this movie you you are and maybe you're going to go into this but there is a number three for death wish three not a not a roman numeral did you read about this did did any of you guys read about this yeah i did but i'll let you tell it apparently canon did like some sort of like market research and they decided to use a number over roman numerals because their market research dictated that half, about half the American population would not be able to read the Roman numeral, which I feel like is just patently incorrect, first of all. Well, Rocky, one of the biggest franchises at the time, used no- Roman numerals. Like you said, Rocky Rocky Four was in theaters at the time. I don't think that that was really stopping it from making boatloads of money. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think that like the American movie going public is going to be like what's Death Wish I I I, you know? Like <laughs> like I think they're going to be able to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's going. Where did you do your research? Alabama? Uh-oh. We just lost those fans. <laughs> we pick on Alabama too much. Maybe Mississippi. I think they're ranked 49th in education. Alabama's 50th. So, you know, both those states, we we got your eyes on. We got our eyes on you. But if you want to listen to our podcast, we love you. But you know what? I bet they know Rocky Four. Oh, everyone knows Roman numerals. This is the dumbest yeah. market research ever. You mean Rocky Ive? Yeah. <laughs> Their favorite one. Rocky Ive is my favorite Rocky. Which, uh, a little bit of nerd news that they're coming out with the director's cut for that. Oh, I can't wait. Oh my gosh. You know my hot take on Rocky. I'm I'm not going to derail the podcast too much further, but my I uh, my my hot take on Rocky 4 is that it's not a movie. It's really bad. <laughs> but also like barely functional as a movie. So maybe a director's cut would improve the like like maybe just put 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 some more in that was missing. No, when that movie was being recorded, God bent down over his cloud and touched both of their muscles with his fingers and made them glisten because that movie's perfect. Oh, Steve, <laughs> you're one of those. Okay. Well, I... Every time you watch that movie, you lose five pounds. It's just, it's an intense workout. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. I, I'm not even one of those machismo guys, but for some reason you put that movie on and I'm like, I can box too. Don't bring, don't bring me on for the Rocky series, <laughs> or at least not for that one. <laughs> oh yeah it would just be me yelling it's, it's like that's not words i don't need words i'm a stallone fan okay it's grunts and yells yo adrian all right let's go over to the back of this box and alex you you probably don't know this but matt and i have ran into a lot of really bad descriptions on vhs boxes uh i forgot matt do you remember how you were started to describe them I don't remember. I just was I the last few bad ones. I've just been like, who who's writing these things? Who's who's like, like what? Again, market research went into thinking that like this kind of a paragraph would sell a movie. It don't make no sense. Yeah. And some of the movies are like big budget movies. But, you know, probably high selling VHSs that have some truly awful descriptions on the back. <laughs> yes. And then I read the Death Wish 3 one and I'm like, this is one of the better ones I've ever read. And I'm like, what is going on? I don't know. Maybe MGM actually had a couple good writers. Oh, so this is a good one. Yeah, this is I think this is pretty good. So we've got okay, two okay. production stills here and we've got Paul Kersey putting uh, Punk's head through the bars. Um, I don't think his head could fit through those bars. So oh, that was a great moment. Yeah, it was. And then we got Paul Kersey firing the M1919. Uh, we've got a, I love this quote, muggers who prey on this victim end up praying for their lives. Excellent. Wow. <laughs> I'm in. We've got Charles Bronson is back as Paul Kersey, notorious vigilante. He is stalking the mean streets of New York and they've gotten meaner. Okay. The first paragraph doesn't start strong, but it gets better. Kersey has returned to the rotting apple at the invitation of his friend from the Korean War day, his Korean War days, whose neighborhood is being terrorized by a gang of vicious young thugs. Oh, we got the thug name there. Yep. Uh, arriving only to find his old buddy slain, Kersey resolves to terminate the hoodlums crime wave and restore the frightened neighborhood to its people. Alone, but armed to the gills, 
Kersey ventures out into the urban battle zone with a message for every hood around, come and get me. The odds against Kersey are immense, but with the gung-ho backing of his murdered pal's neighbor, Martin Blossom, is that how you say his last name? Balsam. Balsam. The amorous interest of the disillusioned defense attorney and the tactic support of a police chief whose own men have been unable to stop the violent crimes. Kersey meets out justice. Launching his one-man war on crime, Kersey proves he's still dynamite, and Death Wish 3 is a blast. Now, all of that is technically correct. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all technically things that happen in the movie. But then I feel like when they start like listing off the characters, I'm like, but what do what do those guys really do in this movie? <laughs> no, this is just Kersey's like waiting for guns to come through the mail and then he's just killing people because they steal his camera. Great, great description though. Like that's that's some that's some good copy. I think you're right. Uh that's you know, it's very tantalizing. Considering some of the ones we've read, this one is almost, you know, up there like just you know, number one, New York Times number one bestseller copy. Like it's I really like the rotting apple. That was a really good. Whoever came up with that, I hope I hope he got a I hope he got a pay bump for that one. Oh, I'm sure it was Golan who's just like rotting apple. You get it, big apple. Love it. And then he would further explain the joke and be like, okay, you know, I I got it right away. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love it though. Well, we can talk all the shit. We can talk all the shit we want about uh, uh, canon because. Lord knows we do, but it's like those those guys knew how to sell a movie. They knew how to. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how they were around for as long as they were during doing all the shady, crazy things they were doing because they were marketing kind of geniuses. So yeah, I mean, I, I would I would hope and assume that like the description on the back of this box would be good. If they could have kept their egos in check, they they could have gone on, you know, until the day they died. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the 80s were a wild time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really remember, but I remember the cartoons and they were great. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we like to remind you to go out there on Apple iTunes and rate and review us. It means a lot. It helps us get up in the magical Apple algorithm. We don't know how that works, but Matt's been working on it. He's, he's got a lot of papers and, and numbers written down. Matt, have you figured it all out yet? I'm still crunching the numbers. Okay, okay. Eventually, (laughs) he's going to figure that out. You know, if you rate and review us, if you leave a description, it helps a lot. If you like the show, please take a few minutes, or not a few minutes, just say, like, we like this show. Take a few seconds. Oh, we don't care. Or you can always go back to the old default of Steve Rules and Matt Rules. Yep. (laughs) Still waiting for one of those. Eventually, we're going to get it. I'm good. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody needs to review, send a review in where they specifically give us a high mark, but then just talk shit about me the whole time. <laughs> and I'm not going to be happy until somebody does that. <laughs> well, you heard I'm it. I'm just going to put up a five star review and I'm just good. And that's I'm going to put that verbatim on things with no further explanation. Just Steve rules, Matt drill. <laughs> oh, he'll love it. it. It pumps up his ego. It does something for me. It really does. I don't know what. (laughs) It's the the underdog energy. Yeah, I need to. uh, Yeah, I need somebody to write like one that's just like, God, Matt, like can't even speak. Like, why is he on a podcast? Like, you know, I need something like that. That'll really get me going. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. If they're going to talk about someone not being able to speak, it's going to be me. 
if they're going to talk about someone blathering on about how much Disney sucks, that's the mat. <laughs> more like more like Marvel. But yeah, you know, well, that's been my thing. yeah, they're all the same to me because I don't know any details. I'm just an old man on a porch telling you to get off his lawn. <laughs> all right. So we got no trailers when we pop this tape in. So straight to the feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. Let's try to break this down, folks, because we got Paul Kersey returning to New York, the rotting apple, to visit his old Korean War buddy, Charlie. And it's not Charlie with an IE. It's Charlie with an EY. So I thought that was interesting. Don't know many of them. I went to school with a Charlie with an EY. He was a good dude. We saw we saw Inland Empire together. That's, uh, that's one of my big memories of him. We'll tell him to stay away from Paul Kersey, because as soon as Paul Kersey gets <laughs> into town, he's going to die. And then I love, of course, the police come in and they're like, oh, no, get him. He got him. He's the one who killed him. It's very obviously not the case. Yeah. He goes to jail and we start to have the setup to this. Uh, We meet Fraker, the leader of the creeps, who I mean, we have a fight. We have two fights in the jail cell in like one minute. Kersey puts a guy's head through the bars and then gets beat up by he just looks at him, goes, I want that guy. I never get that. Like, did they run out of ideas to, like, set something up with the bad guys? No, he's got to be the big dog in prison. He's got to <laughs> he's got to be like, give me that guy. And, you know, that's how you that's how you protect your neck. That's that's like a real that's a real thing. Like, you, you, you know, you, you go to prison. That's the first thing you got to do. You got to You got to kick somebody's ass. And then you're like, all right. All right. We're, we're cool now. Well, yeah, I understood why he he took on the first guy. But what I just thought was funny was Fraker. Well, I guess Fraker did it because Paul won the fight. Now I get it. Okay, I didn't look at that the right way. I yeah. get you. Yeah, you gotta. You know, it's it's a it's it's a hierarchy. He can't do the hierarchy. Well, I couldn't figure out. I've seen this movie quite a few times since the first time I rented the first three in Blockbuster all the way into my freshman year of college. That's how I first saw these. I don't know if I ever told you guys, but. I rented all three because I got tired of looking at the VHS covers and they didn't have the fourth or fifth. So I only thought there were three. (laughs) Yeah. What a blissful moment to just think that's what that's where that's where it ended. Well, my normal brain at the time before it became fully warped was just like, oh, the third one really falls off. (laughs) Oh, Steve, what's wrong with you? (laughs) This is when it picks up. But uh, yeah, so here, let me play the clip of when he meets the police chief. And this like sets up everything. Police chief Richard Stryker basically tells him, you work for me. Here we go. You want something in this, Berg? Have it. It's on me. You went out of here? You got it. I'll minimize the vigilante stuff with the press. Tell them it's creeps killing creeps. Nobody cares anyway. It'll be just like before, Mr. Vigilante. With one important difference. You're gonna work for me. Do your thing, but you report to me. You tell me what's going on. You tell me everything you're even thinking of doing. Let us get some busts. Stan, or I'll keep you here the whole freezer's open. Do we understand each other? You in? One other thing. Of course, me. I know Barry is so deep they'll never find the bones. That's fun. Oh. And that and that uh that Jimmy Page that Jimmy Page score. I can't believe we've gotten this this far. I, I that that we hadn't mentioned that Jimmy Page did the score for this movie. 
I do wonder how that happened. Was he just like a friend with Charles Bron? How does that happen? There were so many of these rock guys doing scores though at the time. Cause I mean, we even talked about like Clapton's uh, lethal weapon score when we went through those movies. I, I just think they were popping up. I think that was like the thing to do at, the, at this time randomly, how Jimmy yeah. Page was the one they landed on for this. I don't know, but I'm glad they did because I think the score is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And like, and like Ry Cooter did all the scores for like the Walter Hill movies in the eighties too. Um, but like but like Eric Clapton doing Lethal Weapon, it's like, okay, there's like a there's like a patina of like 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 prestige to that. But Jimmy Page doing like this Death Wish like, three. <laughs> Death Wish Death Wish three. Where it's like Eric Clapton's like, yeah, I'm doing it's it's the movie with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover and like, you know, like is the most expensive script ever. Like, you know, okay, yeah, that's like a real that's a real studio big budget thing. Like a tent, uh, like like a t- the the closest thing that 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 time had to a tent pole, whereas like where this is like, oh yeah, sure, I'll do the like the weird B movie made by these like wacky Israeli guys. Well, I'm wondering if he was a big fan of Death Wish one and two, even though Death Wish two wasn't as liked by the they were uh, hits, critics. Yeah, they were both you know very popular. And it's I wonder true. if Jimmy Page is like, I'm a big fan. And some, you know, Cannon offered him a contract to do it. And he immediately signed it. And, you know, he doesn't know. He's just off in the studio writing stuff. And then he sees the movie. And he's just like, oh, oh, boy. I, I can't go to the Eric Clapton party in the brag now. <laughs> so, somebody must have asked Jimmy Page, like, how he felt about this. There's got to be some quote about it somewhere. But I mean, that, that's it's just bizarre to me. But it is you're you're right, Matt. It's a great score. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's just like I feel we talked about it like with like Rambo and stuff, and how like you know with Rambo two and three, Rambo became sort of like lunchbox franchise. Rambo. I feel like with this score, this becomes sort of the sound of Death Wish, even though it's the third movie. This is sort of mm-hmm. the definer. I feel like, and this if if Death Wish uh, stuff was on lunchboxes, I think this third one would be the one to you know get us there this would be the one to get us a saturday morning cartoon and yeah i think that score is like (laughs) don't put it past the 80s to do that (laughs) well we were we were talking about you know in the franchises that we reviewed number threes kind of like define the franchise alien three had the iconic image of the franchise Mm -hmm. uh and then rambo three had the iconic headband like tying and turning with the muscles and then Terminator three had talk to the hand, all of them very iconic definers for the <laughs> movies. <laughs> what a piece of shit that was. <laughs> I thought about that joke last night while going to bed and I'm like, I'm sticking this in. I don't care. <laughs> that was great. No, that was really good. I mean, I come up with all of these on, on the, just the whim. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those. Um, anyway. Off the dome. Yep. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but Alex Winter apparently wants to eat Marina Sirtis, who is playing Maria Rodriguez. And I have conflicting uh, articles on if she's Colombian or Puerto Rican. Oh, who the, the character? Yeah, the character. Uh, she's okay. actually born in London. Her parents are Greek. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. They they picked a person, yeah, an ethnically ambiguous woman. I would bet you money that Michael Winter does not care about where Maria Rodriguez is from. Now, the only (laughs) reason I think she's 
probably Puerto Rican is because Giggler's Puerto Rican. And yeah. again, probably Michael Winter said both ways. You know, he's just like, I don't know, she's Colombian. And then, you know, the next day he's like, I don't know, Puerto Rican. I don't care. I'm, I'm Michael Winter. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, all those all those uh, countries are the same. They're, they're right. all the same yeah. to me. Yeah, Michael Winter is not exactly being he's he's not really too he's not he's not losing sleep at night about Latinx representation here. No, but he could probably tell you all the food that they you know the difference. I bet he's really well versed in their cuisines. Yes. Yeah, but he does he sees them all as just one brown country. It's like <laughs> he's a weirdo. He's like, no, no, that brown country actually specializes in this dish. And you're like, you're a weird guy, Michael Winter. Just a weird fucking guy. <laughs> just, sees, just sees the world in a different way. <laughs> Not a good way. So we've got the car scene, which I've got an audio clip of. And this is, I, I before we get into this, I put this in the notes. He uses a Colt Cobra, which is a very popular concealed weapon. This is the only gun in the movie he uses that makes any sense. It's like that little revolver, right? Yeah, it's a six shooter. It's like a normal person gun. Yeah, it's a short barrel. It's used for self-defense so you can get out of your your holster quick and pop, you know. Okay, so here's the clip. What's the problem? What? With the car. What's the problem? Just get out of my fucking face. Who are you? We're still in the fucking car. What's it to you? It's my car. Now you're going to die. We heard shots. What happened? I sent them a message. You're damn right you did. I just really like the library of, it's my car. <laughs> it's just so matter of fact about it. It's my car. It's his best comedic moment in the movie. And I don't yeah. even know if he's actually trying to be funny. It's the same. I don't know. It's that it, it's that I, I feel like. Did that get parodied? Was that like a Simpsons parody thing where I feel like, or, or maybe I'm thinking of the, the, the critic, maybe it was like a critic gag where they like, they have Charles Bronson doing stuff and he's just always like, I killed him. Like he just always has that, like, you know, he's like a cold blooded murderer just, but just has this very like matter of fact line delivery. It's like, yeah, I shot him in the face. I think that was the critic. <laughs> was it the critic? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Because when I saw that as a kid, I didn't know who Charles Bronson was. Mm. I haven't watched that in a long time, but I bet that is way too smart for the audience they tried to sell it to. Yeah, I like the I love the critic. Yeah, it's a great show. All right. So uh, back to the um, Maria Sertas. Um, you know, we talked about everything that she had to go through in the rape scene and how oh, we, Michael Winter just stuck it in there. And it's a rough scene to watch on its own but when then when you know the you know the backstory behind it it's even worse um but you know it's michael winter just uses these as crutches but she actually talks about some of the worst movies that she's been on she's been on two canon films one of them where she gets into like a whipping fight where she's topless and then she gets this and you know it's so nice that she got onto a nice show like you know star trek the next generation maybe the first season was rough but to her, after all the stuff she's gone through to finally nail a role, you know, that isn't going to treat her like crap. I felt so good for her after hearing this backstory. Yeah. And she she get the bag at that point, too. I'm sure like I mean, 
I bet like TNG wasn't exactly paying out the nose, but you know, that's a, that's a good regular gig. You know, you show up to set, you know what you're doing. The, it's all above board. <laughs> you can go to cons and charge everyone like $50 a signature and they will sign and they will pay. Yes. Star Trek a- conventions. People, I mean, everyone knows the comic cons now and everything, but I'm telling mm-hmm. you before comic cons, Star Trek conventions, that was the normal. Star Trek fans are insane. There's no joke. Autograph circuit. Like, you're, you're set for for life. I wrote down all the Home Alone, gag, uh, Home Alone gags everywhere. You, Alex, you already brought it up with the teeth. I think it's funny because it gets really used quite a bit in number five, if you guys remember. Actually, no, number four and number five, you, he uses the gags a lot. Was there a remote control car in one of them, right? Number five, baby. Yeah. Number five has got a couple things. It's got the acid bath. It's got the remote control car explosion and Frankie Flakes. And Frankie Flakes. I only remember a lot of this because I just listened to him. So, yeah, yeah. Fresh. I think like Charles Bronson, you know, he he can't move as good and he's old. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, now he's got to like be setting up traps and things like that instead of, you know, just going out and blasting away, you know. Whoever he considered to be bad guys. <laughs> uh, here we go. We'll move on to the Widley Magnum. I've got the short clip right here, and this is our last clip, so enjoy it, folks. Wildy's here. Fires a 475 Wildy Magnum. Real stopping power. Is that like a 44 Magnum? No, a 44 Magnum is a pistol cartridge, but a 475 Wildy Magnum. It's a shorter version of the African big game cartridge. Makes a real mess. It sure does. I want to bring up how much this gun makes no sense in this movie. (laughs) Now, this movie actually saved, you know, the Woodley, I don't know, uh, factory that made guns. Woodley J. Moore, I think his name is. And saved his business because every time this movie was on cable, their sales would spike. But this gun, the 475 shot especially you know this is a very special gun it's like gas powered not gasoline powered but you know like air gas it's used for big game hunting it's used as a last resort now i know other people out there to be like no steve this is actually used as self-defense okay yes you can use this as self-defense but originally it was made to take out big game whether you're hunting i don't know a rhino if you're a dickhead or you know an elephant or a bear i don't know If you couldn't get your rifle up in time, this was your sidearm because it was meant to bring something down. This is a slow, heavy gun. You would not be using this in urban warfare. It'd be a terrible gun. And you can tell he's running around, slowly bringing it up, shooting this gigantic cartridge that would have a massive blowback in your hands. (sighs) This gun makes no sense. But damn it, does it look good. The idea is that it's like the animal's charging you. It's yeah. like it's 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 to stop it's to stop something that's charging you as opposed to trying to pick off somebody that's say running away like you see him do a short while later with yeah. this gun like as if it's some sort of sniper rifle. You would want a Beretta like a cop uses to shoot someone in the back. Oh, political yeah. jokes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you wouldn't use this to nail the giggler or a leopard. Anything that could move or like a rabbit that could move quickly side to side or is really fast. No, 
You use a Beretta. You want to get as many shots at it as possible. Not this huge fucking behemoth of a sidearm. But you, I think you mentioned it. It just it looks cool. That's the that's the that's the idea. It's that it's a he's he's holding a really big gun and it makes a big boom sound when he pulls the trigger. Yeah, I watched uh, someone compared this gun to the Desert Eagle, and this one actually has uh, a stronger recoil with the 475 because the cartridge is way too big to be firing a sidearm. It should be fired as a rifle. <laughs> this this cartridge is bigger than most rifles. Oh wow. It's absurd. I know I'm getting a little gun techie here, but I just had a lot of fun looking it up. So that's all. Anyway, let's move on to the giggler getting shot. Uh, Alex, you enjoyed telling me this earlier. So explain the giggler going down. Oh, I get to explain the giggler going down. Of course you do. I loved oh. last night talking to you and you're on Sunday and you're like, you're like the giggler died. <laughs> Well, the Giggler is, first of all, uh, a very important, apparently important member of this gang. He snatches purses and runs really fast while giggling. Like that's that's pretty much all he does. And I think I, I feel like that's pretty indicative of like how Michael Winner understands like how gangs work <laughs> and like and like the type of people that are in gangs. This like I don't know. It's it it always just seems like such like a high school theater production version of a gang. That they're all in these like kind of like like warriors light clothing. Oh shit! He probably saw the warriors and thought that's what all gangs were like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, this Walter Hill guy is onto something. I get it. They don't snap and sing. Yeah, yeah. They, they wear they... leather jackets, but also steal uh, steal cameras. But uh, but but that seems to be like his thing. It's like he's some sort of like kleptomaniac who seems to also giggle uncontrollably as he commits his petty crimes. And uh, and Bronson, once he gets his like his big gun, he decides to go out and bait the giggler by taking a Nikon camera uh, and sloping it over his shoulder while he goes to the corner store for an ice cream, as he says. This is America, isn't it? And and he and he heads out the corner store eating his ice cream with his with his Nikon camera slung over his shoulder. And the giggler sees the camera. And he just can't resist. So he runs over, grabs the camera. He starts taking off across this like city block and Charles Bronson just tosses his ice cream over his shoulder, pulls out his giant big game gun and, and plugs the giggler from, uh, from across the block. And the, the whole neighborhood just erupts in applause. Like they just like watch this dude, just like murder a guy in cold blood for stealing a camera. And they're just like, yes, yes, this is what we've always wanted. And they're just like cheering on this this senseless bloodshed. And then the gang, the gang members like are mourning the the giggler's demise. The, the, he he runs back. What he they're like? They killed the giggler. They killed the giggler. Like as if like as if the giggler ain't ain't never done nothing wrong to nobody. Like how could he? Of all of us, he had to take the giggler down. And that really just like seems like the last straw for like the gang boss where he's like, oh, I got to get this guy now. He got the giggler. <laughs> he was like, they're like their mascot or their pet or something. I'm not I'm not really sure. But <laughs> yeah, when Alex Winter's like, man, he got the giggler, man, he, he got, got the, the giggler. <laughs> like they've the been best of out. all of us. He was yeah. the best of all of yeah, us. He was the best of all of us. <laughs> I don't know the most the the most innocent, and in a way, the giggler kind of was the most innocent of them. He just he just really had a thing for snatching purses. That's really all he wanted to do. If I like 
if I remember correctly, I don't, I don't think like for, for all of the like sexual menace in the movie, I don't think we see the giggler participate in that. I think he just likes, I think he just likes grabbing purses. Now that was what I was trying to like on the surface. You look at this, like, Oh my God, he just slaughtered a guy in the street for stealing a camera. That's not really equal. And then I was like, well, maybe he was part of the rape, but then I looked and he's not part of the rape, but what this movie needs to do if it was not trying to be a cartoon is try to sell that this gang is really the biggest problem and they've been murdering for a long time. We know Charlie died, but none of this, there's no levity to this movie because it's just a joke. Like you, like I forget that Charlie died at the beginning. I completely forget yes. the whole point of this. I, I also, yes. even though it was just a few scenes before, I forget that she is raped and killed a few scenes before because I'm like, well, this is a cartoon. Who cares? But then when he shoots this this crook, who's just stealing a camera, which don't steal people. I'm not sitting here trying to say like, oh, stealing's fine if you're hungry. No, I'm trying to say that like you have to sell that the reason he's killing this guy is because he's part of a gang who has tormented these people and destroyed them. You can't just stick in an old Jewish couple and be like, oh, they used to live in a nice neighborhood. Now they don't. Like, it doesn't work. There's no levity to this story. There's just like a kind of, I don't know, like, I I, I think you touched on something interesting in that, like, you, you, like, forget almost what the inciting incidents are. It's like, this is just the world that they're in. Like, it just, it's so, it's so heightened and so, like, kind of wacky in its own way that nothing ever, like, sticks, like, nothing ever feels real. And again, I th- and I think I mentioned this before, that's kind of, in its own, like, twisted way, like, the appeal of why this has been, like, the most watchable one for me so far. It's just, like, it's really just operating in its own universe, in its own, you know, in its own logic where it's like, of course, this is what has to be done. This guy just has to come in and start shooting everybody. Like, that's really the only way that that, that anything is going to change in this, like, strange, like, carnival world. It's, oh, carnival it, world. Perfect. It is, it, it, is, it is simultaneously, like, absurd. But, like, when you're watching it, you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> no, they could have showed Charlie right after this scene walking down the street and waving at Paul Kersey. And I'd have been like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You're dead. That doesn't mean sense. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, another thing that makes no sense is uh, Bennett uh, just shows um, Paul Kersey's like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Charlie got this uh, M1919 heavy machine gun right here and it's got the ammunition. And it all works pretty late in the game. Like, There's so much. Why does he have it? Maybe to remind him of the old days. The war. He meant. I think that's what he just meant. He's like the war, man. I just I kept this from the war. Like, you know, the army lets you keep that stuff. What? No, they don't give you an <laughs> M nineteen nineteen machine gun from the Korean War, and they certainly don't let you take home the ammunition because that shit's I mean, expensive, I mean, and Matt they want to use did, it. <laughs> Matt, do, you, you're are, are you telling me like Matt, like your grandpa didn't sit you on your lap and show you the you know his military issue M nineteen nineteen machine gun. <laughs> well, we, we went out to, we had to go shoot some creeps, you know, we went out and practiced with it, you know. Oh, yeah. Did uh, did your uh, grandpa lift that 84 pound gun without ammunition in the tripod and then hold it by the barrel that would be hotter and shit while he fires it? Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's uh, Charlie yeah, Bronson makes it look easy. Backyard and, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm actually amazed that the blanks that were they were firing didn't burn the shit out of his hand. I don't know how they did that. That machine gun, the the barrel, which actually has air holes in it, because if if, if you watch an old movie or any movie where they're firing blanks out of those M19s, there's fire coming out of the barrel because mm-hmm. it's fucking hot. <laughs> and he's just like, eh, I can hold it right here. <laughs> Uh, in fact, I think during like the Korean War or maybe the Vietnam War, they actually created handles on the side so guys could hold it and not burn themselves. So this is just stupidity all over the place. I, and how the hell he gets his home? Whatever. We got to keep moving on. Oh, and, and we haven't even talked about Catherine Davis, the public defender, who we'll just skip what is right there over to it. Say? <laughs> what she is there she to dies, say? Uh, you know, because she sleeps with Paul Kersey. But I just want to talk about. Charles Bronson is 64. They literally pick a woman half his age. She's 32 in this movie shot. I just thought that was funny. I'm like, good God. uh, It's a pretty standard issue for uh, for this period of Hollywood, is it not? I know, but it's just so standard that it's stupid. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. You couldn't pick a woman who's 45 some, I mean, 20 years. You had to pick someone 32. I like I like those two like like they're they're really like two scenes significantly that happen with Catherine Davis. Uh, to the like the the first scene, she's you know he's he's leaving the police station for the first time after he's been released by the police chief, and she like knows something is up. She's like, "Hey, I'm a public defender. I'm supposed to like, you know, handle your case or whatever." He's like, "Whatever. I'm not pressing charges." She's like, "What? You were you know you were held without without cause. Like you really have a case here." And he's like, "Don't worry about it." And that's pretty much like the extent of their uh, their their discussion. Like it's very perfunctory and very just like she's like please, and he's like no, and it's like all right, and then moving on. Then like a half hour later, she shows up where he's at, and she's like, hey, I you know I, I'm I'm trying to learn more about this, but like, but hey, really, I'm here to ask you out on a date. <laughs> out of nowhere, like there is. The the one conversation that they had before was just the most like there was absolutely no semblance of like there was no spark there was no like oh these guys are interested in each other there's some there's some energy here there's some tension nothing not a bit continues to the point where she is then asking this man out in a very forward way on a date and 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 they're just they're talking he's like yeah all right. I guess I'll come over. And she's like, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have you. What, is, what does she say? It's like, I live in it. She goes, I live in a basement. <laughs> she just like says that very like matter of factly, just like offers that information. She goes, but it's a nice basement. Yeah. I mean, Alex, it's just, if... what, what, is, what the strangest, the strangest, there, there's no flirting, but, but they're like, they're not even trying to pretend that these guys are flirting. It's just very, Alex, if know. you don't get wet looking at Charles Bronson's mustache, <laughs> you're not human. Okay, this woman is Just only human. Okay, she can't magnet. help herself. <laughs> I mean, she went and out of I, her and way I to personally, I personally, you know, I would hear a pickup line like, I live in a nice basement. I'd be like, oh man, shit, I better get over there. Like, she, that's she's working very for me. forward. <laughs> Well, what I, 
when when she dies, she gets knocked out by I don't even know if it's Frake or whatever creep does it or gang member uh, knocks her out and then rolls her down the hill. The the hilarious part is when her car hits another car and there's like two seconds where it's normal where you're like, oh, yeah, two cars hit each other. And then it explodes because that's how car designers actually uh, build these things is when they hit, they instantly explode two seconds afterwards. Maximum boom boom. Yep. This movie's given us more is more, man. Everything the, yep. from the big guns to the car crashes, everything more is more. Well, at to, some uh, point, Bennett's taxi shop gets blown up, and then Bennett has to pick up the 84 pound gun uh, and then attempt to swing it at someone after it jams. And I don't know if you guys watch that, but anyone who's watching this movie, go back and watch that. That old actor picks up this gun and swings it. It swings not the right word. It's literally like someone put him on slow mo, and the rest of the movie is nor- is moving at normal speed. It's absurd. Why would you give an old man like that? And he did this, by the way. I can see his face. Why would you give an old man like that this gun and tell him to swing it at someone? It's never gonna work out. Pay a stunt man. How hard is this? I mean, but the same could be said for the, like any of these movies past this one with Charles Bronson as well. It's like, don't give Charles Bronson a gun anymore. <laughs> well, at least Charles Bronson, who I found out was a health nut at this point in his life, probably because huh. he smoked more cigarettes than anyone known to man. Um, I assume he smoked cigarettes, but I mean, looking at his face, it's weathered like uh like Matt said many years ago, he was tanning, and not the good tanning, the cancer tanning. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, he was a health nut at this point. Alex Winter brings that up, that like he wouldn't shake people's hands. He would only eat his own food. He'd never hang out at the craft food table, which I can't even imagine what a canon craft food table looks like. But um, I'm sure it was full of like just crazy ass food no one's ever heard of. <laughs> uh, anyway so let's get on in this movie we uh apparently i never caught this i watched it this time i still haven't caught it he apparently gets the grenades and stuff at the end of the movie and the rocket launcher from the mail did yes. you guys see yes that? he does yes, how I am i missed this so many times i've watched this Almost all of Paul Kersey's weapons come through the U.S. mail. Uh, it's um, frankly baffling. And, and of course, like dodging the obvious question of like, how are these things safely getting through the mail? These like military grade weapons. Who is sending them? And may, maybe there's something I'm missing from like the second movie where he's got like some like, maybe he's got a guy somewhere. No, but you're not missing. You're not missing anything. Because <laughs> I was under the. I'm. I'm like, who? Who's holding this stuff for him? Where he's like, hey man, can you send me that grenade launcher through the mail? Here's my PO box. Well, I was trying to figure out. Was it the police doing it? But they don't have a oh, scene. Possibly. I don't. I really. I don't think so. Because the whole thing really seems to be like where the police is like, you're going to do this for me, and he's like, I'm going to do it, but it's not for you. Like, yeah. he really doesn't, like, include the police in it at all from, like, minute one. Uh, so I really don't, I, I, yeah. I doubt that. But I but I kind of appreciate that they just kind of let that mystery hang there. Like, it doesn't doesn't matter. 
gun came in the mail, he's got it now. What do you want? He knows people, you know, this is (laughs) Charles Brown. He like, he knows people like that. I I would assume like movie logic. That's what they're going for. It's just like, well, he's been doing this for three movies now. He's got a guy. Yeah. 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 It's got the, I, you know, but like, like in death sentence, it's like, he's got, he's got his like John Goodman, you know? Right. Isn't it John Goodman that does it is. Yeah. And an amazing performance. (laughs) And then, and then, and in Punisher Warzone, you've got you've got Newman from Seinfeld, who's like, yes. "Yeah, I got your guns, man." Like, I kind of wish that this movie like had that that would that, that would have been another really good opportunity to just have like another like crazy weird dude in it, like some like character actor from the fifties to just like kind of come in and be like, "Hey, man, here's your guns," like like an Ernest Borgnine type or something. Yeah, that would have been really fun to have like. I don't want to say sidekick, but yeah, like a, like a oh another over the top character, almost to counterbalance the negative over the topness of Charles Bronson, the, the charisma vacuum. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. But again, like that—that's that, that's why this movie is so successful. That he is like that. That he. It, it is a weird like yin and yang where this movie is just so unhinged, but. Bronson is so not like so almost like disturbingly so. Think, I'm thinking a, again, I, that's that's part of the appeal, I guess, of this movie. It's got to yes, be absolutely. like um, it was my appeal. It was, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was appealing to me. <laughs> I like. I think that's got to be it. Like you just you have such a blank slate with uh, Bronson that like yeah, all this all this insanity just can wash over you then. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then of course the other appeal of this movie is what we're about to get into, which is the completely unhinged third act. Oh this, yeah. yeah. When I mean, Kersey the, and Rodriguez just go and collect all their weapons and they're like, Oh, it's time to go to war this? with the, the gang members. But what's funny is, is during this movie, like Fraker calls in a biker gang who then mm-hmm. everything he collides. calls in reinforcements. Everything collides and he just starts mowing them down. And there was a, like a home alone trap. You got dummies falling off the roof. This Amazing. is nuts. Like we can't really describe to you the insanity of this. You have to watch it because so much is happening so fast. That, no rhyme or reason. I don't know what I don't know what the gang is like doing half the time. Like how does like he even like know who to shoot at people's houses? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. And and here's the best part. This I, I wrote this down so fast when I realized I was like, oh my god, this is all happening in broad daylight. Yeah. They didn't yeah. even tr- it's like this isn't like no under the cover of night, here comes the gang to finally like get one over on the no. Broad daylight, noontime sun, here comes the machine gun. We're in the middle of the block, like don't even care. There's like a helicopter watching, but like nobody's like doing anything. They're just like, all right, here we go. War's on. Yeah, and then put the kettle on. And then the cops like run in and they're like, okay, get the bad guys. And I'm like, who's the bad guys? I'm kind of like, (laughs) everything's blurred together. I'm like, because you've just got an old man with his friend who is just blasting people left and right. I I mean, some of them weren't even, and I looked at this too. Some of the uh, extras just started to fall. And I'm like, they don't even have a gun. They had like nunchucks and they were like 500 feet away. And he's like, fuck it. Brrr. Yeah. Yeah, man. Let's take the, them be- all the, down. Be- 
like the best way I could describe this whole thing. It's like if you gave like an eighties kid who's playing with his action figures, a bunch mm-hmm. of cocaine and then just said, <laughs> go. And then like, that's the scene he would create. I would assume. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you get five days, 500 extras go. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and it's seriously like, I, 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 and I know, I, I know I said this already, but I just, I need to stress. I, don't know what the end game is for this gang at this point just like complete annihilation is this just like a kamikaze thing where it's just like let's just let's just burn this motherfucker down because if that's the case they won like they did it yeah and this was was, uh, like when we go back the gang secretly win (laughs) well and when we go back I, i matt i don't did you bring up that it was like a trauma gang yeah yeah and the whole thing is like there seems to be no end game it's not like they're trying to like acquire the the like super drug that will get everyone addicted and they'll make a bunch of money. It's not like they're trying to steal everyone's money because you, you wouldn't want to kill people if you want to steal their money. You want to slowly bleed them. This gang right. has no plan. They're no, just I think it's a kama- I think it's a kamikaze thing like Alex yeah. said. I think it's just like it's over. Like let's go. Like we can't we can't beat this old man. Let's just like rip the place apart. <laughs> Let's just take take down as many people as we can. It's it, sometimes it it looked like something out of like I don't know like the, like 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 a really a really low rent version of something like 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 come and see just like those like the like like sad Russian war movies like where you're just like watching like war atrocities just like almost like in like a Boschian like it's just everywhere and it never stops kind of thing and and. And it's just like it, it, uh, it's speechless, absolutely, it, it, <laughs> but incredible. Like, couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Like, it's it's a a pretty a pretty amazing display, really audacious on Michael no. Winner's part. I used which to play is, this... That was sorry. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I used to play this movie in the background of college parties, just so mm. someone would go come by it and look and be like, what the hell is this? I'm like, uh, one of the greatest action movies ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Death wish three. Do you want to talk about it as the girl walks away? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yep. Bye. This is, this is actually a great question. Did you have a college party movie, Matt? Something that you like played in the background when like, when people would come over to drink? Um, yeah. Do you have a go-to? No, I didn't have a go-to, but I definitely had, like, several that I went through. Like, I remember going through, like, the, like, Jason X was definitely one. Mm. Some of, like, the later Friday the 13th. Um, The 99 House on Haunted Hill. Kind of, like, that vibe usually was the ones that I would put on in the background. So on brand, Matt. I love it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He he was the same in college. (laughs) (laughs) I did, for for us, it was, for us, it was always the RoboCop was the go-to. Uh, because that was that was a movie. It, actually, RoboCop and Total Recall, I think, were the two that we would put on. Like we would play music, but we would have the movie on mute in the background because I remember we talked about it like very like these were the movies where like every moment something interesting was happening on screen, e- even if you had no idea what the context was. So if you just see the image in the background, like while music is playing and you're hanging out, you're just like. Oh whoa! Check that out. Like yeah, yeah. I think Arnold's that was eyes also... are bucking out of his head. <laughs> That's funny. That was the idea I... behind the ones that I would do too. Yeah, same thing. Muted, but there's it's visually there's like 
a lot of shit going on. Yeah, there's just tons. Yeah, there's always Chaos. something to look at. Yeah, yeah there was a uh-huh. through here because uh, mine was the same thing. They'd always be like, Steve, yeah. put on the movie because you put on something fucking weird that no one's ever seen before. And I'd be like, all right, killer clowns from outer space. We're going. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That, that'd be a good one. Yeah, and they'd just be like, people would stop and look at this while the music's going and be like, what the fuck are you guys watching? And then you'd have a chance to open a conversation. And that's really all that we wanted. (laughs) That's all. That's all it is. But hey, guys, you come come look at the window. Curse is shooting the creeps. He's still shooting the creeps. <laughs> oh, yeah. When that's every the, neighbor what... grabs a gun and, and everyone has a gun now. Is, yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody just marches out with their guns. And it, it truly it becomes a, it becomes a war. It looks like it, it looks like the end of like saving Private Ryan or something. <sighs> yeah. It's except, insane. <laughs> except a lot funnier. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So Fraker gets trapped in the apartment with Paul Kersey and the detective or the police chief or whatever he is. And we find out he has a bulletproof vest. And, you know, this is just a scene where uh, the good guy shoots the bad guy, the bad guy shoots the good guys, you know. But nothing interesting happened in this scene until the rocket launcher fucking comes out of nowhere and Fraker goes, boom! And uh, this is, like, the part of canon that I love the most. They love to explode people at the end. Yeah. I love it. I love it. The end of the fireworks show. It's yeah. the end. It's yeah. the grand finale. That's right. It's the grand finale. And then the the punks drop their chains and their nunchucks and their brass knuckles, and they go, "You know what? We're done." Fraker yeah. <laughs> was the last call. You know, the last straw. Yeah. We're out. They're like, "All right, nope. That yeah, leaders, leaders gone. We're out." Even though I don't know how they could know that that was Fraker because it was an apartment building. There's like three windows and I, I don't and he's know unrecognizable. He's unrecognizable. Yeah, I, whatever. Uh, it's, a, it's a canon film. We're not going to go on that. But um, anyway, let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. This is the fourth wing, or I'm sorry, this is the fourth, I don't know, piece of the Death Wish wing. Uh, So, Alex, you're the guest. I'm going to let you go first. What do you got? Um, What are you putting up on your your wall? Now, I know it would be, it, it seems like the obvious choice to go for one of these absurd guns. Um which is why I'm not going to do it. I am instead going to create a, a, a little a little meal uh, based on all of the 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 the, the foods that that uh, that Kersey seems uh, so fixated on. So for our appetizer, we have stuffed cabbages a la Kaprov. That's Mr. and Mrs. Kaprov's stuffed cabbages that he smelled from like two floors away and was like, I need to eat that. Uh then of course the main course is is uh, is Catherine's chicken because he loves because he loves chicken. And, Doesn't matter uh, what chicken de- it is. Yeah, I like chicken. And uh, and then for dessert, of course, it's the ice cream pop that he's eating when he uh, when he pops the giggler. And because he's a very good Republican, he bought a black kid a uh, ice cream. 
Oh, I love it. He tosses the kid the little ice cream. He's like, here, here you go, kid. What do I owe you? As he like saddles up to the, oh, great. Just... Oh, he's not even going to, Matt, did you catch that? He's going to avoid the political uh, joke. Because it has to be like a conservative old white guy helping out a young black kid. I like as soon as I do that, I'm like, ah, it's almost as eye rolling as the beginning where the cop says, hey, this is New York. Guns aren't allowed. Guns aren't allowed. I like I like the scene where he comes in and is like the the only thing that the cops do is they take away the old person's gun. He goes, but it's our self-defense. Yep. Uh, they also there was a cut scene too where the cops came in and took one of the I don't know who someone in the building they took their dog they're like you can't have a Doberman Pinscher in this building but he's he's what protects us from from the gang members and they're like too bad now we're gonna go. and I think they even cut this scene because they said they're gonna euthanize the dog <laughs> and oh, he, even Cannon was know, like whoa 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 we're, we're not gonna what, kill though? a dog. You know, a broken clock is right twice a day because breed selective legislation is bullshit. Well, yeah, as as two people who <laughs> own bully breeds, uh, yeah, it's, that's right. Uh, what, what was it? Doberman Pinchers in the '80s. It was Rottweilers in the '90s, and then ever since, it's just been basically being pit bulls, right? Pit bulls. Yep. It's a. Uh, it's it's all it's all trends, and they mean nothing. Yeah, when are we going to finally crack down on the breed that really needs to have a finger pointed at it and and think about what it's done? Chihuahuas. <laughs> Those fuckers bite everyone. <laughs> Vicious oh, bastards with their big ears and their adorable faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Any- so yeah, that was my... I, I, I hope it's okay. I... I I hope it's all right that I created a little a little meal with with the. Uh, no, I think that's awesome. It's, uh, I, it I hope it's one of those. One. I, I hope it's a very interactive piece in the museum. Oh, yeah. You get to sample it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go second. Now, I think I have to put in the Woodley Magnum because I did so much research on it. And now I know more about the Wiggly Magnum than probably even Woodley J. Moore. Um, it's a great looking gun and it's completely stupid. No way a 64 year old man would be using this gun, but it looks great on the cover. And I'm sure a lot of idiots bought it, not real, realizing how much the ammunition would cost when they go to the range. So there you go. The Woodley Magnum. What do you got, Matt? Trauma punks. Uh, it, I mean, this is one of the things that sort of, I think, first off in this movie really pushes it into fantasy territory. And the, I think the fantastical over the top more is more elements of the movie is what makes this movie stand out uh, of the five in the series. So like, I, I, you don't have that without them. So uh, it's not as fun and interactive as the uh, dinner, which I loved, by the way. I don't, I don't know if I peeked <laughs> in, in there, but that is a fantastic addition. Um, but uh, I, I, the, the creeps, they're just so like the creeps? D- defining of this movie. So for me, they, they've got to be in the museum. Excellent. I think the, the museum pieces here really cover this movie. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't mistake this movie now with all those things in there. <laughs> well, you have like the nice family appeal of the, the you know the meal cooked by the old Jewish couple, and Alex has created a nice interactive piece here where you get to try it on, and then when you're done <laughs> eating, 
you get to shoot my gun at Matt's creeps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've it's got a totally interactive Kersey experience. Yeah. Van <laughs> Gogh interactive, the Van Gogh interactive museum at the Chicago uh, art Institute. Fuck off. We got the yeah, death wish. Three one. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go on to what we watched before we say goodbye to our friend, Alex. I watched free guy. And uh, I, I, I don't know if this is a movie I'm going to ever rewatch much again, but I would just like to point out after bashing the hell out of Ready Player One back in the day because the CG, you know, took me out of the movie and there's too much crap in there and everything. I would like to say the free guy seemed to be the best way you can make a CG world. It all made sense to me. Ryan Reynolds is very likable. A lot of the characters were likable. I enjoyed the film. Great popcorn summer movie that I didn't actually eat popcorn while watching. I just wanted to say, everyone, I don't completely hate CG. Stop saying that, everyone out in the world that I don't care about. There is a a CG movie that I like. I'm proving it right now. I like the free guy. Did you see free guy now? I did. Yeah, it didn't really do anything for me. Uh, not not CGI related at all. I'm just kind of tired of like the mashup movie thing. Uh, I, I don't like the every every media is content kind of uh, vibe that like Ready Player One kind of kicked in the door for. And I, and I liked Ready Player One. But yeah, anything that has come out after it, kind of including Free Guy, it's just like not my thing. It's like it's movies for YouTube generation, not even movies for TikTok generation. It's a it's uh I, I don't like it i prefer you know my mashups are freddy versus jason you know <laughs> like i'm not here for <laughs> here for like uh twitch the movie so no thanks <laughs> pass <laughs> well i'm i'm uh i'm switzerland here i haven't seen it so <laughs> well it's, it's funny because usually i'm i'm the one who's like poo-pooing on these movies and i got so much shit for not liking ready player one that i just wanted to point out that like this is like to me this is how you do that you created another world you had you know your players outside of it yes none of these characters are interesting even free guy like it was just an entertaining movie that i shut my mind off of and i laughed mm-hmm. and then it's over and i'll never watch it again but Maybe i just wanted to point out that there was an almost all CG movie and I liked it, folks. Stop giving me shit for the Ready Player One. It's been years. Calm down. That's it. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, Matt, Alex, do you guys have anything? Did I miss anything? Yeah, Matt, we. Saw... Uh... Oh, you, the, the, I'm sorry. Let me set you guys up for this. That's totally rude. I totally forgot. I'm sorry, guys. Alex and Matt, you guys had a viewing. Uh, is, what do you guys want to call it? The viewing? What is it? Uh, we we went to the Matt and I went to the theater last night, and we saw we saw a little movie called Titan. And yeah, uh, um, it, it was it was uh really fun to see something this kind of out of control at an AMC. Um, <laughs> like just like I don't know if it's just the pandemic or the fact that like these kind of movies do have some you know minor mainstream appeal or whatever but like it for whatever reason was playing at the local amc and it was fun to kind of see something uh just completely insane uh on the big screen yeah. in 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 basically a, a mall <laughs> yes 
I was I was utterly baffled that Neon has released this movie in over 500 screens this last weekend. Um, but I'm I mean I'm thrilled. Uh, we had a couple like hard nopes in that theater. I remember one guy came in about 10 minutes late while some weird shit was going down. I saw him like take a seat in the first few rows, and about I think it took about three minutes where he was like, "Nah, I'm good," and then just like left, never to Not be seen for me. again. <laughs> uh, and then about two thirds of the way through the movie, during a particularly harrowing scene, um, uh, Matt and I heard a scream uh, to our right, which at first I thought was actually just like part of the sound mix, uh, but then I realized. Uh, that after the fact that a family had wandered into the theater, um, uh, I, the, the, they might have been looking for a screening of the Adams family or something, uh, but ended up in the wrong place. And I think somebody got traumatized uh, real hard. Uh, yeah, without because... like giving anything away within the movie, it just like it was a scene that featured full frontal nudity and. Uh, gore kind of i would say just like, really it, really intense body horror yes uh and to have a family walk in at that moment exactly was pretty fucking hilarious <laughs> maybe maybe the worst moment to come in during that entire <laughs> movie um, although there aren't a lot of great moments to walk in with a child uh, into that movie um we were my my id was checked at the door for that which hadn't happened in years for me i was like why the hell are you check i'm very obviously a 30 year old man um, but uh but the, there was a reason they were being pretty stringent about that one um if if folks are interested in this this is this is the new movie uh from julia de cornau who uh who she she won uh Cannes Film Festival with this movie. She was awarded the Palme d'Or by Spike Lee and his jury. And um she I like how you made... call a jury. <laughs> it just felt yeah, yeah, it is. It's a jury. Yeah. I uh, believe you. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. And uh and she this is her second movie. Her first movie is a movie that I would also very heartily recommend. It came out a few years ago, a movie called Raw. Uh, that I actually programmed at the Chicago oh, National same, Film Festival when same, I yeah. when I worked there. Um, <laughs> have you seen Raw, Steve? I have, yeah. So I I can already it, French. I already know. I got it. Yes, <laughs> yes. This is a this is a French film. Um, it is. I I almost I want uh, Matt and I have been very careful not to say anything about this movie because it is best to go into it blind if you're interested. Um, it is for for fans of for fans of David Cronenberg, I think um, if if anybody's seen Julia's uh, first movie and were and and was into that one, um, you know what you're getting into, but also you kind of don't, um, and it's probably best to to, to keep it that way. Uh, I, I I really do think that the element of surprise is um, it, it's really fun to watch this movie unfold in front of you and sort of discover what it's really about because you you kind of think you have a handle on it in the first half hour but it really i think it it, it really takes some some interesting turns and for all of its grotesquery and for all of its uh kind of weird what the fuckery uh it is actually a weirdly like warm and tender movie as well that i actually found kind of heartwarming uh by by the time it was done um i would highly recommend it if you know if somebody 
you know, if a listener has a, uh, uh, an adventurous mind and a strong stomach, um, I, I, I feel like that's my, that's my little, that's my bit for it. Uh, uh, I don't know no. if you have anything to add, Matt. Knowing no, French no, that's extreme. perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. That's exactly how. That's exactly how it is. Yeah, I can't even stress enough. You got to go in as blind as possible to see it. Like that's where yeah. most of my enjoyment came from. The fact that like I never knew what it was going to do next. Yeah, knowing yeah. French kind of extreme movies or just French directors in general. If you like David Cronenberg and you like fingers across a chalkboard, stick those together, and you probably have this movie. Uh, cause that's, <laughs> that's what people tend to describe these movies as like, they just like, it makes you, you know, when you hear that, you're like, your, your, your shoulders go up, yeah. you, get, you get a little tense, but at the same time you, you look right at it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of squirming, but again, I, you know, I, I have back to, it's not, it, it weirdly, it, it, it starts that, but then by the end of the movie, it weirdly feel again, without trying to spoil anything it almost feels a little bit like a warm hug at one point. Like it's, it's, it's really astounding the kind of the trick that it pulls in that way. Uh, And I'm, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still kind of unpacking it. I think there's a lot to, um, there, there, there's a lot to take in with, with that movie. And, and again, if you want to see something wild, it's, it's playing at AMC theaters across the country, which is insane. So, so carpe that DM. (laughs) <laughs> all right that'll end it this week uh alex thanks for coming on we will be inviting you back to start a our halloween franchise not we're not reviewing halloween i'm just saying a franchise Bummer. in the halloween month <laughs> um if you want all the halloween movies you can go to screen factory and buy their uh their halloween new halloween uh screen uh blu-rays i don't know why i'm 4ks the 4ks yes. right with with uh, from what I've heard, fans uh, really hate the covers. Uh, so, but we love Scream Factory, even though apparently people on Twitter and Facebook really hate the covers. I get it. I saw them. They're not that great. I get it. I get it. That's why I'm not on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Twitter's a dumpster fire of like just everything, like everything you can think of. It's just like, hey, do you want to recycle? Uh, no, we just burn plastic. That's basically my, you know, like <laughs> visual on Twitter. Um, anyway, thanks for coming on, Alex. We really appreciate it. And Thank remember you. to be kind. Rewind. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like Star Trek fans. <laughs> Is your dog snoring? Oh my God! Can you hear her snoring? I can't That's believe amazing. it. I'm so sorry. Now our dog is that snores. coming through? Well, I was like, okay, shit. There, there's no way that's Matt. He doesn't have narcolepsy. It's got to be the dog. 